Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Friday, March 10th, 2023. It's been 3,299 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 380 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. There is so much content today that we are breaking it up into two parts so that we can get it to you as quickly as possible. Part one, that would be this one, will cover the regional updates, and part two, which is obviously the other one, will cover the politics and intrigue, and also economics and war crimes. So let's go ahead and get part one started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, We assess that Russia's largest missile attack of 2023 was disruptive, but unsuccessful in causing a long-term impact on Ukrainian infrastructure and was ultimately a waste of precious munitions. Second, we maintain that there is still a risk of a nuclear accident due to the de-energization of Ukraine's electrical grid as long as the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, continues to target Ukraine's power industry. Third. We maintain that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles a month. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Fifth, we maintain that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Sixth, we assess that the public infighting between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin, and the Russian MOD has reached a dangerous level that threatens to derail the only successful Russian offensive operation since June 2022 in Bakhmut. Seventh, We maintain that the Russian MOD is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin, both on and off the battlefield. Eighth, we maintain the Kremlin is actively attempting to topple the legitimate government of Moldova. And finally, we maintain that the Kremlin is actively interfering with the Georgian government's attempts to join the European Union. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. In the Dvorichna operational area, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ryanikivka was attacked 
unsuccessfully by Russian forces, while the Russian MOD reported their forces attacked Ukrainian positions with artillery and airstrikes. The GSAFU also reported that Vilshana was shelled for the second time in three days. In Kharkiv, power has been restored to 90% of the region, while half of the city of Kharkiv remains without power after the largest missile strike on Ukraine in 2023. Moving on to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor Serhii Haidai reported Ukrainian forces were on, quote, active defense in the Svatova and Kremina operational areas and tipping over to being on the offensive in the Lysychansk operational area. He described the situation as, quote, relative silence on the front line, end quote, due to Russian forces suffering heavy losses and needing to reconstitute their units. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah, and failed Mobik Igor Strelkov Girkin reported the combatants were engaged only in, quote, positional fighting. Russian efforts over the last few weeks to try and coordinate light infantry, armor, artillery, and aviation at the company level has largely failed. To Haidai's point, no fighting or significant artillery activity was reported in the Svatova operational area. In the Kremina operational area, light positional fighting continued in the forests and tree lines near the settlements of Ploshanka, Makievka, and Nevsky. A Ukrainian source reported continued light fighting in the area of Chervonopopivka. Governor Khaidai said, quote, It cannot be said that the settlement is completely deoccupied, but the situation there is under control. End quote. South of Nevsky, Ukrainian forces have been recorded pushing Russian troops back over the last seven to ten days, but we didn't adjust the map due to a lack of additional intelligence. Positional fighting continued in the forested areas south and west of Kremina and near Dibrova, with no change in the situation. In the Lysychansk operational area, it is now the 306th day of fighting for control of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Mercenary mill blogger War Gonzo indicated that the current wave of attacks had culminated, stating, quote, Units of the armed forces of the Russian Federation have been undertaking campaigns against Bielogorovka for several weeks now, which end with a return to their starting point. End quote. Governor Khaidai reported that Ukrainian forces held their positions quote, firmly and quote, sometimes even moves forward. In Russian occupied Novodruzhesk, which is nine and a half kilometers east of Bilohorivka, Mobix complained about being transferred by the Russian MOD to the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Second Army Corps as so-called volunteers, reporting there were only eight survivors left in the unit. During their video appeal, incoming artillery strikes, although distant, could be heard. We stretched the area of uncertainty further east into parts of Novodruzhesk, which has been subject to heavy Ukrainian artillery fire. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, elements of the 2nd Army Corps continued their attacks on Spirne without success. In the Solidar operational area, PMC Wagner launched an overnight attack on Vasilivka, but could not advance into the well-defended village. 
In the Bakhmut operational area, Russian and Ukrainian forces continued to trade territory. BMC Wagner advanced westward on the northern flank and pushed further into the city's southeast corner. Ukrainian forces pushed PMC Wagner's forces away from Bogdanivka and continued to have access to the T-506 highway ground line of communication, called a G-lock, that's a supply line, through Hromova, and limited access to the T-504 G-lock. Alexander Sirsky, commander of the Ukrainian ground forces, said, quote, The defense forces of Ukraine made several tactical actions which did not allow the enemy to take the city into an operational encirclement by now. But the situation remains very difficult. End quote. Northwest of the city, fighting continued for control of Orikhovo Vasilivka. George Baros of the Institute for the Study of War reported that our favorite FSB Colonel Girkin claimed the settlement was captured. It's unclear if Girkin edited his telegram post with the former defense minister of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, only reporting, quote, fierce battles in the, quote, sector. PMC Wagner's social media channels did not claim success in this area. Several Russian mill bloggers claimed that Wagner mercenaries had reached the village, but at the time of recording, Yevgeny Prigozhin had made no claims of operational success in this or any other direction. PMC Wagner captured the village of Dubovo Vasilivka after launching over a hundred attacks in the last three days. Prigozhin wrote that fighting was still ongoing, quote, on the outskirts of the settlement, which is supported by a GSAFU report of continued fighting. We updated the map based on PMC Wagner's information and a geolocated video that we used to update our map back on March 8th. PMC Wagner was pushed away from Bogdanivka, with their map showing their forces at the Berkhivsky Reservoir's western edge. We split the difference and moved the line of conflict to the northeast. We moved the gray area away from Khomova because Ukrainian forces continue using the T-506 highway G-lock, and videos show the road and bridge remain intact. Within Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian forces are trading direct and indirect tank fire, artillery, and mortars along the Bakhmutovka River. In the southeastern part of the city, Wagner forces advanced on Miru Street, west of the Donba Reservoir. We adjusted the map to show this advance and expanded the gray area. Russian forces destroyed the MiG-17 monument in southwest Bakhmut during the overnight hours, the monument was erected as a memorial to the cadets of the Bakhmut Flying Club who participated in World War II. Did, wait, okay, hold up. Didn't Rybar literally just accuse Ukraine of destroying the monument yesterday? Fighting continued south of Ivanivsky with no change in the situation. The Russian MOD made a direct combat claim, saying units from the southern military district were leading the fight in this area. In the Kostyantanivka operational direction, Russian forces attempted to advance on the hamlet of Oleksandro Shultene and were repulsed. Two misattributed claims about Bakhmut are circulating. Russian sources continue to reuse videos or highlight the same group of destroyed Ukrainian armored vehicles west of Ivanivske and claim the vehicles are newly destroyed equipment. Ukrainian sources are circulating a video of a Russian ammunition depot destroyed in Kurdyumivka, 
claiming a NATO-provided JDAM bomb destroyed it. The video was recorded in January and resulted from a drone-directed artillery strike. Some assessment. While Ukrainian forces hold the most critical defensive lines and maintain multiple G-locks, the situation remains fluid. Russian forces complain about ammunition shortages across the theater of war, and we continue to see strong evidence that Russian troops and PMC Wagner mercenaries are dealing with a shortage of anti-tank weapons. We maintain that, short of using chemical, biological, radiological, or nuclear, that's seaburn, weapons, the Russian military will continue doing everything possible to capture Bakhmut. In Slovyansk, the Ukrainian government is deploying portable bomb shelters at bus stops and public areas and has installed almost a dozen concrete structures. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In southwest Donetsk, fighting continued in the usual places with the same results, mostly. Our favorite FSB Colonel Girkin did drop a surprise claiming that the fighting around the Krasnohorivka Plateau is being led by the Russian 2nd Army Corps, formerly of the LNR. There was no change in the situation. Girkin also added his voice to the chorus of reports that the hamlet of Vesele was under the control of Russian troops, adding that the area had been captured last year and Ukrainian forces have a very strong second line of defense. Despite the lack of visual evidence, we have three independent reports and two from trusted sources. Based on the available intelligence and terrain analysis, we went ahead and updated the map. Russian troops continued their attempts to advance across the H-20 highway to Kamyanka. South of Ovdiivka, the situation remains unchanged. Russian troops attempted another head-on attack on Ukrainian defenses in Ovdiivka, Russian forces also continued attacks west of Vodyana along the northern edge of Pervomaiske and north towards Sieverne. In Vodyana, an armored platoon mustered on the earthen dam in the center of the village with their movements exposed to drone activity. The formation got very lucky, with an airburst 155mm artillery shell missing the center of the grouping by 10 to 15 meters. Despite the near-miss, the platoon was likely rendered combat ineffective. Russian forces continued sustained attacks on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske and continued to be unsuccessful. In the Marinka operational area, fighting where Marinka once was continued, with favorite FSB Colonel Girkin criticizing the Ukrainian active defense reporting that Russian troops had been pushed back 100 to 150 meters, but at great cost. Attacks on Pobida in the direction of the pig farm were repulsed. In the Bukhadar operational area, Russian commanders woke up on March 9th and decided that another attack on Novomikhailivka would be a good use of their military resources. Were they correct? No. Wargonzo wrote about it, quote, Good logistics make it possible for the armed forces of Ukraine to maintain the positions here. End quote. Members of the Russian 136th Separate Motorized Rifle Brigade, 
restarted attacks on Bukhlidar. Due to a lack of artillery and armor support, they suffered heavy losses and retreated to their defensive lines. In occupied Volnovakha, Russian occupation administrators claimed rockets fired by HIMARS struck a large facility that held dozens of buses in a town with a pre-war population of 20,000. Some assessment here. Volnovakha is a major logistics and transit hub for Russian troops. In our assessment, the number of buses at the facility far exceeds what would be needed to support the local population. There is video, and as with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. In occupied Donetsk, the acting self-declared leader of the DNR, Denis Pushlin, dismissed Oleg Vitalievich Makarenko from his post as commander of the internal troops of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. No reason was given in the terse two-sentence letter. Six months after the illegal annexation of the Donetsk Oblast and promises that the border between Russia, that would be the pre-2014 Russia, and occupied Ukraine would be erased, the governor of the Rostov Federal District announced tighter border restrictions saying that entry into the territory of the Rostov region from the territory of the DNR, as well as exit from it, can only be carried out through three automobile checkpoints, one railway checkpoint at Uspenskaya, and two pedestrian checkpoints. Entry and exit into the LNR are possible through 11 checkpoints. Entry and exit into the Rostov Federal District is otherwise prohibited, despite once again, the LNR and DNR, being annexed by Russia in October 2022. Now to Zaporizhia. A quick errors and omissions first. Yesterday we reported a brush fire erupted in Enerjodar that burned four acres. Well, that should have been reported as four square kilometers, and we appreciate your understanding. After 11 hours of being disconnected from the power grid, engineers restored the 750-kilovolt power connection to the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and brought reactors 5 and 6 to hot shutdown. International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi said, quote, Today's loss of all external power once again demonstrated how fragile and dangerous the situation is for the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. That very much remains the case after the 750-kilovolt line was reconnected yet again. Experience tells us that this will most likely happen again and again unless we do something to prevent it. End quote. After Russian missile attacks in the pre-dawn hours of March 9th, Ukrainian engineers had mostly reconnected power, water, and heat to residents of the Zaporizhia region, except for the settlement of Skvortsov. Hours later, Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck infrastructure facilities in Zaporizhia again, knocking out power to almost one-third of the city. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported eight Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol, including two frigates capable of launching up to 16 caliber cruise missiles. Repair work on the rail section of the Crimean Bridge over the Kerch Strait continues, with the first new span of the railway section installed, 
while repair work continues on one of the badly damaged bridge supports. The rail section is not expected to reopen until summer 2023. Russian troops started building a defensive line on the western border of the Leninsky district in occupied Crimea. The dragon's teeth being installed divide the Kerch Peninsula from the rest of Crimea. In Odessa, repair work to the power grid continued. Public transit and railroad service have already restarted, with consumer users experiencing rolling blackouts to load balance the system. In western and central Ukraine, in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out 79 fire missions, firing over 400 artillery shells, mortars, grad and smirch rockets, indirect tank fire and drone-delivered IEDs, killing four and wounding three. The city of Kherson was shelled nine times, targeting the residential areas of Ship and Korbelnaya Square. Multiple reports and a video circulating on social media allegedly show that a Ukrainian Special Operation Force unit had infiltrated Russian-occupied Novokokhovka and was engaged in a firefight with Russian troops. The video is reportedly authentic, but we can't confirm if the fighting is between Russian and Ukrainian troops, Russian troops fighting amongst themselves, or is misattributed. Social media reports and pictures indicated a Russian ammunition depot in Tavrysk was destroyed. Engineers restored power in the Kirovorod Oblast after Russian cruise missile strikes damaged regional infrastructure. In the village of Pitheitse in the Ternopil Oblast, debris from a Russian cruise missile intercepted yesterday damaged five buildings, including a private home. No injuries or power outages were reported. In the Zhytomyr Oblast, rolling blackouts were instituted due to the damaged electrical infrastructure. In north and northeast Ukraine, officials reported that the electrical supply in Kyiv had been restored 12 hours after missiles struck the city, wounding three. In Sumy, debris from an Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drone that was shot down was found. On the Russian front, across the border of Sumy in the Russian village of Plechovo, Russian opposition partisans operating from Ukraine claim they crossed the border and urged residents, quote, not to go to work for the next two weeks due to planned, quote, surprises. They also said it was time for Russians to rise up and join the fight against Russian President Vladimir Putin. In Bilgorod, Local officials claimed construction of the Bilgorod ditch was completed. The border defenses combine half-height concrete dragon's teeth, barbed wire, steel cable, anti-tank ditches, and berms. As we reported earlier in the year, the concrete dragon's teeth were already crumbling, so that's nice. The project cost the oblast 10 billion rubles. Television and radio stations were hacked in Russia again, broadcasting a warning of an imminent nuclear strike and advising residents to prepare and seek shelter. And on that note, this is the end of Part 1. In Part 2, we'll cover all of the politics and military intrigue, so if that's your jam, I hope to see you there, whenever I finish it. 
You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.